but to go back to the show, uh, the show at hand, I think it was just the idea that he chose Goofy as as the the storyline to address fatherhood mm-hmm. as he grew into being a father and uh, to address systemic factors, you know, like all these different factors as to what Goofy was going through that put Goofy in that situation that Goofy was in. That's crazy to me. You know, that's the stuff that connected to me, that whole thing with his son and then working their way to have an understanding. But I like that story that they had told, like on his first day when he gets in and he's like, you know, he's showing Mickey like kind of like abusing Pluto, <laughs> so to speak. And it's like, why is Goofy allowing you know mickey to do this to pluto if they're both dogs these are his people why would he allow this that in itself is hilarious but also (laughs) brilliant enough to be like that's him sounding the call of like i'm gonna do something different but still that whole logic is like i've always struggled with what cartoon characters are yeah because i always thought goofy was a cow for a long time but yeah they did have a cow character back in the day it's amazing that Donald Glover took an animated cartoon that's loved by black folks and many others, I'm sure, and kind of built a whole conspiracy theory around it. So it's something that's beloved that we care about. I would have never thought that I would hear something about like a movie like this, like the Goofy movie in this context. Like it gives it a whole other life as well, you know? Yeah, it's black now. That was almost like we've said it jokingly or yeah. whatever, and a few people their theories but he built an episode like, the lore yeah i feel like if you show people that who never watched if you just fooled around and caught that on television and didn't know it was atlanta <laughs> you would think, that's real man right like you you would literally think all of that's real right. that's how good of a doc- like like kudos to like just the the post-production team mm-hmm. made videos look like they were shot on vhs and that's a lot coming from you because you do, do documentaries and stuff like that so you're looking at it at a whole different level and you know oh, what cues to look for so if you're saying that that means a lot i think some of that may have been actually recorded on tape now i know they don't have to it can all yeah. be done in post but not everything can be done in post like you think right and so not everything can but it was it was shot in a way that made you think that like this stuff was all on tapes mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that they really did have all of this so what did you think and, about the part where he kind of lost his mind because they you know like i said they had removed him and i thought it was cool too that they offered him like 75 million dollars or something to to leave and he wouldn't take the money uh he didn't want to take the yeah. money the cousin thought that it was 75,000. Right, it was 75 million because they wanted to get rid of, they wanted to correct that problem. And it's funny because I even liked how the guy, the white dude was like, we would have handled it a different kind of way, but we had so many eyes on us because we had just had success with Little Mermaid that we couldn't really do the way they wanted to do it. So I thought it was kind of interesting. They had to kind of had to ride it out and didn't want no extra mess going on because of the success that they had. So it's almost like, it's not because they try and do the right thing. It's because they don't want to look bad. It's, it's, it's the PR part about it. But um, they invited him back for a screening of the movie. And they have scenes like, I guess he's supposed to find like the chair of, uh, uh, of Huey Newton. They were supposed Huey. to find Huey Newton. 
which who thinks of that that's crazy. That's so that was gonna be their journey to find that you know because he wanted to share that with his son and then and then the cut scene that uh you know where he gets pulled over by the quote-unquote pig <laughs> the cop yeah. that's actually a pig it was supposed yeah like, and they're supposed to get shot and God, like and then the white that, animator is like, why would you do that? <laughs> that's when you like that if they were just the concept of that that someone drew the pig with a gun. Like, so someone really had to actually yes. draw all yeah. which is the most hilarious thing to be like. Can you picture being Donald Glover or Steven Glover trying to pitch this to the people at FX and the people at Disney? Because they had to go get Disney animation people to go. Because these characters, this was goofy. Yes. Like this, like an offshoot. You know, like they may have done a few things different to throw it off, but nothing to the naked eye that you would see. Yeah. They had to go get, draw that. Like they had to tell them like, yeah, so this next little piece right because even the sketch because even how the sketches are sometimes a little bit more detailed than the actual animation so they had goofy little extra hairs and stuff so you could tell that's how it looks because you would sketch it out a little bit different than than how the animation would be because they would have to clean it up some so even that even had the blue pencil that you draw underneath before you draw the pencils so you so when you you know make a copy of it you can't see the the blue pencil and so it was just interesting that they did all that and you know they'd be cut scenes and storyboards as you know done for movies that they don't necessarily use and so for them wanting you know so he's on his whole other thing and his co-workers and animators that work with him don't understand why he's trying to do all this stuff and he's kind of like on a mission and so you know even saying like they saw like the part that, you know, with the Bigfoot part just kind of threw him off and he just couldn't take it and he just kind of kind of left. And then when he had, had his cousin talking about how you could tell he was just frustrated and disturbed and he had this crazy, crazy laugh like huh, huh, yuck. <laughs> I don't know how he was doing it. He was doing like huh, 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 yuck. And his, and his cousin trying to explain the laugh and and the perfect acting and he did the look off and he's like i, I could have cried like in that, moment. <laughs> that in itself was genius like it was so many so many parts that was genius. just having the idea of brian mcknight was hanging out with him he's like well what you listening to right now right and he's like listening to tevin campbell. campbell and i you know in my mind i always get logical like as a radio the former radio dj i'm like why was Brian McKnight at a point where he would have been hanging out with anybody at that point? But you know, I didn't get yeah, caught up yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. But I was just like, uh, just the idea that like he got fixated with Brian McKnight. Oh, but Tevin Campbell's got to be the person from there, right? And Brian was like, man, people around the office was calling him Kevin Campbell, <laughs> right? Which happened in real life for a long time, <laughs> right? 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 So yeah, and then they showed their um the last footage of him. Yeah. And he's sitting there at the table, I mean, sitting down on the couch and he's drinking and he's, you know, and his family's kind of talking about how he was kind of like breaking down a little bit. But um, but like he's like, I, 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 I got to finish it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, well, I don't know what he was concerned about. Answer me this. Do you think that I'm not going to say the name of the company, but the company took him out because he ended up missing and all you saw was like white gloves and these big flat shoes that goofy 
that was in the lake and his Chevy Impala, I think it was like something like a Chevy, some, some black car, but some Chevy Impala was found in a lake where his, where he went fishing with his son. <laughs> Stupid. There's, which is hilarious, right? Because it's like, that was the part that brought us back to reality. Cause you watch this whole thing and you're like, Oh crap, he's going crazy because he did a good enough acting job where that seemed legit. Yeah. It didn't seem like, oh, he's acting about going crazy. No, you know, like, yeah. Like he was really going crazy. And so seeing the goofy mitt and the big <laughs> shoes, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is fake. It brought me back to this isn't a real documentary. <laughs> right. I don't need to look up Thomas Washington and again. <laughs> I don't need to stop and then I don't need to go watch the goofy movie next. Which I did. But you know, you didn't <laughs> You didn't have to go and watch, you know, look it up. So, yeah, like that was my theory was like, oh, yeah, the company definitely took one ahead and took him out. If he, if he wasn't gone, but he was already gone. He was yeah. already out of place. He didn't need. So, like, there, there's a few different fan theories that are being tossed out. And it got a lot to do with season three. So I'm going to answer that question when we do a larger review. Okay because there is a theory that I kind of have with where he could potentially be and have we seen him in other episodes? Oh, wow. Or is he exists in another space? Because the first thing I thought is like, if they don't show the body, then it's a possibility. I'm giving, you know, like comic book logic. And so I was kind of almost wondering too, it's like, is he going to show up later on in the last episode or something? Like, why is the body missing? But I thought it was interesting with the gloves and all this other kind of stuff. But um, the way the whole thing was kind of played, it was... Like I said, it just had so much stuff that was real, mixing with absurdity, mixed with good acting and the way it was shot and the clips and stuff and tied in the craziness with the truth, you know, and the lies were kind of tied in. And and like I said, there were like, like I think the first, um, the first black animator at Disney was Floyd Norman. He worked on stuff like the Jungle Book and stuff like that. And I think Ron Husband, the guy that I had met, I think he was like the second one. And he started like as an animator um, back in 1975. And he worked on like Little Mermaid and, and Lion King and stuff like that. And so, <laughs> you know, like, I'm very curious on how they took, because the first thing I thought when I saw this episode, I was like, I'm gonna go on Facebook and see, see what Ron's up to and see if he, makes a comment or if anybody brings up this episode of Atlanta and what would he have to say about it? <laughs> Cause I didn't want to do it with seeming like a jerk, but I was almost gonna be like, you remember me? I met you a few years ago. We had a good conversation. I saw this episode of, uh, you know, I was like, I wonder how much they borrowed because I'm, cause like some of the stuff he had told me kind of matched up with some of the frustrations and stuff. And, and, and it was, uh, you know, cause one of the things he said I thought was very interesting is like, even though he found success in it, he was doing all these big hits back to back to back and they still wouldn't you know they still kind of limit to where he was even though he kept doing the stuff and disney changed and and went to another level because of works from like him you know like he added he, he brought into a new era of, of movies and when actually when they kind of stopped using him they kind of wasn't the same again and so it's just amazing how and I was saying this was, well, matter of fact, I was talking to you about this before, how a lot of times we may not create stuff, but our input and insight and talent makes that thing, it brings it, brings it up to life. It brings it a swag, a breath that it didn't normally have. 
And a lot of times we're used like that and people don't even know. And we're connecting to stuff for reasons that we don't know. And it might be because somebody who looks like you was behind it and you, they just never got the credit or you just never knew it like that. And you're like, why does this taste like, you know, my mama's cooking and I'm in this, you know, whatever, this, this place where nobody looks like me is cooking and you see the cook in the back or the person who gave them the recipe was somebody who looked like you. And so this familiarity for strange things that's not of you is probably not as removed from you as you think. I'll say that. Yeah. I would say for me, the the final, I agree with everything you just said. And I think my final piece on this particular, what I want to explain why I, I refer to this episode as brilliant. And it's because of layers. Uh, I think as a consumer media, I enjoy layered episodes of things. Uh, you don't have to beat me over the head with uh, with it. Um, you can just tell me what the problem is with your actions, which is typically how we experience a problem is that it's a verb, you know, like it's 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 happening to us. And so until it really you can, you know, like a storyteller makes you feel as though you you can be empathetic to mm -hmm. to the, the plot of, of uh, plight of what's going on. Right. They drew us into themselves in a way through this Thomas Washington character that made me understand the journey of like a young man. Like, can you picture Thomas Washington gets accepted into Disney through a diversity program? You know, he did the work. So then mm -hmm. you take Donald Glover, who gets picked out of a diversity program by Tina Fey to write on 30 Rock. And then he's instantly like catapulted into like community and then he's donald glover you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying like he's put in a position so quickly because of people wanting to create diverse spaces it's funny we had had the conversation about tyler perry and uh making a statement of the nature at the the toronto film festival of wanting to cultivate black talent better so that they'll be prepared or more prepared for when they get there get certain opportunities mm -hmm. you think about donald glover who wasn't ever really cat you know cultivated by any uh like black creator he was just thrust into a position and has taken full advantage and now he's in another space where it's like he could exit and he did his part and we should be good with him if he wants to come back reincarnated as you know as like we've seen him as Childish Gambino. We've seen him on television. We've seen him like as a star behind the lens also. So it's like, if he goes into movies next, I accept it, you know? Right. So like watching this particular episode, it, it helped me like kind of tip my cap to Donald Glover's journey. Um, and just say like, yeah, I empathize a little bit more with you. Like I now see you not just as Cause you know, sometimes one of the things we do in our community, and at least I've been guilty of, is thinking that people are being fake, uh, different, you know, like they're trying to be different and it ain't organic and ain't natural. And now like when, with this particular episode, the layers, one of the layers that I appreciate is that like, yo, you really gotta like appreciate some of these brothers who are, who've overcome the hood, mm -hmm. overcome corporate, and they're still trying to find themselves. So I really appreciated that. I definitely love the fact that it was shot perfectly like an actual documentary, which also could be spoofing 
the cut and paste way that we do documentaries. Yeah. But on the same token, it still took a lot of discipline to do all of those things the way that they did it so perfectly. And let's go back to where the original conversation started by naming it the goof that sat by the door. Yo, what more can you say about something with that complexity uh, to enter into that convert? Like it enters into that conversation by just the title. Right. And it gives us humor. It gives us everything that we need. Uh, so that's why I say when it comes down to like top episodes of a television show that I've ever watched, yeah. I'm a little blind. I, I am man enough to admit that, you know, maybe Penny, you know, getting burned by her mom on Good Times was a better episode. <laughs> I ain't watched it in 10 years, maybe 15 years. Uh, James whooping the light-skinned kid on Good Times was another good episode. I don't think those episodes had depth and, and, and you know, just memorable episodes for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, what's his name? Uh, Different Strokes. The episode where, where the dude tries to the, tries to molest Arnold. Arnold, like, okay. There's a lot of episodes that, like, impacted my life and, like, made me think, like, yo, like, but this one, I would say as an adult, for what I can remember, yeah. this is a top three wow. of a certain episode, just episode mm-hmm. of anything. And that those are my reasons why. It's the layers. It's I just appreciate the layers. So that's that's my take on this very, very hilarious episode. I love what you said about Donald, which is all true. I will add to that that he inspired, you know, Miles Morales. <laughs> Miles Morales Spider-Man because he dared to have, he used his platform, his face, his fame to say, hey, how come, you know, Spider-Man can't be black, you know? And I'm sure that's been said many times before, but for somebody like him to say that, you know, and to get somebody's intention to, you know, inspire the idea to make it become something that's like a beloved character now, is, it says a lot. Um, I think his story in a way is almost kind of as well as like how Dave Chappelle kind of came up, you know, where he got opportunities and, and they just kept taking chances with him and letting him through to the point where you wouldn't think that a steak that went through a meat grinder would still be a steak at the end. Because <laughs> usually by the time you get down that grinder, you are unrecognizable. So to be a black person, a black person that's an artist, that has a different takeaway of seeing things, and the machine is not necessarily looking like you or necessarily would normally let somebody who like you through and for you to come in with you intact and then have a way to present you, you know, after surviving the machine and still have something to say and still have a voice through all that. That's a long journey to still have a voice and a perspective that is still relatable to the people that you necessarily necessarily even deal with or was necessarily on your journey with you. But you decide to still be like, I'm one of you, I'm still you. And this is what I have to say about this. It's amazing. Jordan Peele too. I wouldn't expect them kind of movies that he does and the social commentary that he does with where he came from, how he came through. Same thing with Donald, same thing with Dave Chappelle. It's very interesting, but I think it's a beautiful thing 
And I think all their art is tempered in a certain kind of way. And I think it's, it's very rare and very hard. And I think that's why they're so special. Um, the art and stuff that they give us and present us is so special because it wasn't like, um, like I said, it was, it was almost like a, like a, like a coal that became a diamond. It would have to go through those pressures to be able to, to, to shine that bright. Um, and I think it's a lot of folks who just don't make it through, you know, there's no self to, to share at the end. And so for them to be like that, and he's definitely one of those folks who would have thought, you know, it'd be like these, these folks, like I said, you know, like you would think are, you know, not about the culture or consider them acting white or whatever, or awkward and weird. They are, they are saying our story and presenting us in ways that we've never seen, you know, and it's still us. And it might not be the direction most of us would probably go about doing it, but they found a way and found a voice that connects and that, that people could, you know, all people could kind of digest and, and, you know, it's interesting very interesting yeah now i agree i definitely agree man now i think uh i'm i'm gonna probably end up watching episode five again and definitely watching episode eight again um for the third time i know my son called me about episode eight and was just like really ecstatic about it i'm trying to get a good friend of mine uh david walker who write who's written some really good books about black exploitation mm-hmm. and as well as done a documentary on it I would love for him to watch that particular episode, but he's he's a, a creative himself, so he refuses to watch an episode out of order. I can't convince him. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You can watch. He's like, nope, I got to watch it how they created it because I don't want to miss a thing because I bet it all makes sense. And I'm like, it may, it may, but on the service level. Uh, but I, I'm interested. I always tell people watch that episode so like and i i would just definitely suggest if you've watched it i'll be interested in you know seeing you know if you get feedback and you know what people think about the episode i enjoy doing these episodes with you man because it's like just us talking this is what we would have talked about and i really i was i I always learned something like what you talked about that that nuance layer of like what episode five meant to you oh that that got me to thinking like i'm gonna watch episode five again with a whole different lens now because wow. you yeah that blew my mind right there to just think about it from that standpoint as a parent like just losing your child to the game you know which is we do it on so many levels the hood takes them religion can take them uh just family dynamics and politics society yeah yeah some from the time our children are born they're like being pulled from our our clutches and we're just always just running and just running, just trying to get them back, yeah. get them back on. And that, um, man, good, good episode. So like your friend, I normally do not watch out of order, but with our discussions and I trust your judgment, I went out of my character to watch the episodes and I'm glad that I did. And because of that, we got these very, I think, insightful conversations about these very powerful episodes so if folks seen the episodes before would like to know what you think of the episodes as well and also the kind of the stuff that we spoke about and then um for those who have not seen it i suggest start from the beginning you know support this show i think that mr donald glover is cashing in all his chips you know he's about to cash out and so he's uh, betting big on the way out the door <laughs> So, so I think it makes for very interesting uh, art, 
And so I'm glad to see it. So it's almost kind of like, you know, I'm on my way out. So whatever I say and do, I'll be gone anyway. So um, I, I like I like art that, that is unrestricted and can take a chance like this. And I'm, I'm yeah, very, very interesting to see his takes on these, these things that I'm interested in. All right. So that was Jay and Drew. And that was our conversation about season four, episode five. And then also season four, episode eight of Atlanta. Until next time, peace. Thanks for listening and please like and subscribe. Be sure to check out past and future episodes of this show, along with my other shows entitled The Movie Bench Quarterbacking Podcast and The J and podcast available now on all streaming platforms until next time peace